Last week on the show, we spoke to Hamed Ismailian. He lost his wife and daughter when uh, Ukrainian Airlines, International Airlines Flight 752 was shot down as it was taking off uh, from Tehran by a surface-to-air missile fired by the Republican Guard. Um, so when he found out that Team Iran had been invited to play Canada in an exhibition match, and he had known about this for weeks, warned the government not to do it. Uh, when he found out that uh, Team Iran was coming to play in Vancouver uh, in early June, he was, of course, outraged and said, you know, how could you let this happen? How could you let this regime send its team, which will be used for propaganda purposes, to play in Vancouver in a friendly uh so he was one of the first voices to come out and really say, this should not go ahead. He was calling on Soccer Canada to cancel this. Others have joined in since. Of course, the Prime Minister has been fairly vocal about this uh, over the past little while, saying it certainly wasn't uh, the government's decision. It was Soccer Canada's decision, uh, but that he didn't think it was a very good idea. And then the other day, players, apparently. Players on the team voice some concerns about their opponents. Now, Iran is a good soccer team. They're one of the top 25 ranked teams in the world. So it made sense from a soccer point of view, perhaps, to play Iran for Canada to warm up for the World Cup. But from a political point of view, it was a terrible decision. And today, Soccer Canada canceled the game. Here's Nick Bontis. He's the president of Soccer Canada explaining some of the factors that led to the decision. We had heard from uh, Iranians, you know, Iranian-Canadians on both sides of the, uh, of the uh, issue in terms of both supporting the match and those against the match. Um, once uh, we coupled that with further information that happened more recently in the last 24 hours as it pertained to the uncomfortability of our players. That's Canada soccer president Nick is explaining why this match against Iran has now been cancelled. It certainly took long enough. Uh, Hamid Ismailian, though, who I spoke about earlier, he's happy tonight. He welcomed the decision. I think the right decision has been made. I think that's uh, the right thing that they did. And uh, uh, I think that's standing for Canadian values and for standing uh, with uh, solidarity with the families. So... What did Soccer Canada not realize here? Perhaps they didn't realize that politics and sport always go hand in hand. And you should really pay attention to who you're going to play in something like a friendly, because it's an exhibition match, right? You're inviting this team to come to the country to play. You don't have to play them. It's not the World Cup, for instance. Well, joining me now is Simon Darnell. He's an associate professor at the University of Toronto's Faculty of Kinesiology and Physical Education and director of its Center for Sport Policy Studies. Simon, thank you for your time. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So starting with the uh, with the Iran-Canada soccer match uh, here here in BC, in Vancouver, that's now been cancelled. Um, were you surprised at the decision? Um, a little bit. I mean, I'm not, I'm, I'm not surprised that this became controversial. We don't see sport organizations um, change their minds very often, but I do think there is a bit of a sea change happening around the recognition of sports political implications. We've seen that in the in a number of different um, areas related to uh, to international sport. And, you know, I, I think some of these political issues that are coming up against sport are so significant now that sport organizations are having to confront them and having to make some, some hard decisions. So, um, yeah, a little bit surprised that, that the decision went one way and now it's been changed. But, but overall, we're seeing this trend in international sport, I think. Um, I mean, soccer has always been political to some extent. Uh, if you think there's even a soccer war way back in the 70s uh, in Central America. Uh, why do you think Soccer Canada wasn't at least awake to the possibility that this could cause uh, some serious backlash? 
Yeah, that's an interesting question. I think there's still a popular idea that um, sports are apolitical. Certainly, you know, we like to think that when we're watching a game, we're just watching a game. But of course, you're right. Sports have been firmly political um, for for decades. Um, you know, I, I, I think I think uh, Soccer Canada is on the map in a way that they haven't been before, given the success of the um, uh, of the men's national team. Of course, the women's national team has been doing really well for a long time. Right. Um, and I and I think um, they just had to confront the fact that they're getting more recognition. They're getting more acknowledgement of how significant soccer has become in this country. And that comes with, um, you know, uh, more connections to the political implications of something like like welcoming a country like Iran to come and play soccer here. One thing, I mean, uh, you're in Toronto. The uh, the team, of course, uh, Team Canada was widely celebrated in uh, wildly celebrated in Toronto recently. This was going to be the first match back on home turf, so to speak, since they qualified for their first World Cup since 1986. Um, does it taint it a bit? I mean, this was meant to be a big celebration, and instead, it turned into a bit of, a bit of a fiasco for Soccer Canada. Yeah, I don't think it's a great look. Um, <clears throat> But I don't think it takes away from the success of those particular players on the field. I mean, this is always the tension that we come up against in these situations. Is this something that's the responsibility of the players to deal with? And I do always feel some um, <clears throat> sympathy for the fact that, that players and, and, and elite athletes get caught in the middle of these political decisions. That doesn't change the fact that sports are firmly political and there's some big political decisions that need to be made around sports. Um, it would, I guess it would have been nicer for Canada, for soccer candidates to have thought through some of these issues before they made the initial decision. But I don't think it takes away from the fact that this group of Canadian soccer players and this team is a really strong team. And it's one that's worth celebrating as, as sports fans in this country. When you look at the the implications of just the circumstances surrounding this one, part of the argument that came up, of course, was that, you know, Iran is playing in the World Cup. Um, Iranian athletes are allowed to participate on the biggest stage in world soccer. So why not invite them to play a friendly in this country? Um, you, you know, but, but clearly when you're inviting a team to play a friendly, which is a exhibition match, essentially, it has, I gather, very different implications from the more structured setups of, say, a FIFA World Cup. Yeah, I think that's a key point. This wasn't a, uh, a match that, that has been um, you know, given to Canada that they must play in, such as what will happen in the World Cup. This is something that they have much more control over. And you know, th there are just some really big geopolitical um, events, um, uh, like the shooting down of, of, of the Ukraine Airlines, um, that have had really significant impact on Canadians. So you know, when those politics get involved, um, then that's when people start to to, uh, to speak out, especially because this is a something that 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 Soccer Canada had some control over whether to to host this game or not. Um, should did it surprise you at all? It took them so long. I mean, the Prime Minister spoke out against it. There was sort of a barrage of criticism of this uh, dating back for a few weeks now. Um, it, it did take them quite a while to come to this decision, and they'd already really announced the lineup. I mean, I know this same team is playing uh, Curaçao in Van, uh, as well in, the, in this series of friendlies, uh, but it, did it surprise you at all that it took them so long to make the decision to suddenly say, oh, we've made a mistake? Uh, yeah, in a way, I'm surprised. I'm, I'm surprised that this particular case has received this much attention because it's not like this is the only instance of sport and politics coming up against each other. And there are lots of cases where we tend as a, you know, as a, as a country or just as, as um, sports fans, we tend to turn the, uh, the other way. Like, for example, we could have had these very similar kinds of politics play out 
around the recent Olympics in Beijing, lots of human rights issues in China that that are are that, that, that demand attention and and that are wrapped up in the politics of sport. Um, and they didn't seem to play out in the same way. So I think that speaks to um, probably issues of lobbying and who has whose ear behind the scenes in political terms. Um, so it's a fascinating case that this one came to uh, to light in ways that other issues uh, haven't. I think you mentioned it earlier as well, the idea that this was an invite, that this was a welcome mat, so to speak, in a match that wasn't unlike the Olympics. You know, it wasn't it wasn't all the all or nothing. This was a decision made uh, by by the governing body to invite Iran to play here. Um, so I imagine in that sense, it, it took on a bit of a different tone than, say, an international tournament where who your opponent is, is not really uh, up to you necessarily or entirely. Yeah, and this is where sports kind of become a proxy for, um, you know, political relationships, uh, 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 geopolitical relationships. I mean, sport has always been one of the ways in which um, national governments have built consent for their for their regimes, built consent for their national brands and their image. And I think that's been happening in this case. And, um, you know, the term that gets used, which I think is accurate, is sports washing, you know, using sports to to promote an image and to and to. Um, gloss over some of the the issues that that um, that, that national governments don't want uh, the international community to pay attention to. So um, yeah, that 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 the fact of the invitation was really significant here because this was a this is a way for for um, countries like Iran to build consent for their regime and to uh, pre, you know present a, a positive image when when some of their other actions would would say otherwise. Perhaps in this case, politics did get involved, but I imagine the Iranians won't be so shocked because at the end of the day, this was probably a big political boost for them to have this match going on in Canada with their national team. Yeah, um, you know, I, it would have been a, it would have been really significant, I think, for them to have come here and, and played. Um, it's hard to know exactly how they feel about the game, about the game being canceled, but, you know, they're also a really talented side, as you mentioned. They're going to be in the World Cup. This is a, this is a, a quality um, country uh, when it comes to producing uh, talented soccer players and talented soccer teams. So, you know, there, there's qu- there's quite a bit on the line, um, and I suspect they're disappointed. But um, you know, I, they'll have other opportunities, I think, to build to build uh, consent for the regime through the use of sport, like like all countries do. I'm speaking with Simon Darnell. He's an associate professor at the U of T's Faculty of Kinesiology and Phys Ed and director of its Center for Sport Policy Studies. We're talking about the decision announced today by Soccer Canada to cancel a friendly uh, against uh, Team Iran set for Vancouver on June the 5th. Uh, quite late in the day, actually, there's been a lot of criticism of this uh, of this choice of opponent uh, for a while now. It was a friendly, meaning they were invited to play here. Uh, there were reports that uh, Iran would receive up to $400,000 for this match, or at least uh, the Soccer Federation there would. Um, but today, the decision made by Team uh, by Canada Soccer, or Soccer Canada rather, uh, to cancel. Uh, and uh, And then avow in their case uh, to do better in the future when it comes to the choice of opponents after this we'll talk a bit more i mean this is not the only incident of politics and sports and war colliding in the past bit and we'll talk a bit about wimbledon after this because uh, some controversy there as well over who's not being allowed to play this year that's after this I'm speaking with Simon Darnell, he's an associate professor at the U of T's Faculty of Kinesiology and Phys Ed, director of its Center for Sports Policy Studies. We're talking about politics and sports. They always seem to collide at some point. They did collide today for Soccer Canada. They've cancelled a friendly and exhibition uh, World Cup warm-up match set for Vancouver on June the 5th against a Team Iran. Lots of backlash in the country, including even from the Prime Minister, uh, about uh, the choice of opponents. So today a decision 
uh, to cancel the game and uh, to do better in the future, to take into consideration uh, political aspects and other human rights aspects when it comes to choices of opponents for these such things. Um, Simon, you spoke recently about uh, just what's happened at Wimbledon. We know that Wimbledon's been in trouble with the ATP and the WTO tennis federations uh, about their decision to exclude Russian and Belarusian players this year over the war in Ukraine. A- another uh, instance of politics and, and sport colliding. What did you make of that decision? Well, I, I, you know, I was slightly of two minds in that decision. I, I do feel some sympathy again for the athletes who were, um, you know, excluded from Wimbledon um, and have been banned from Wimbledon because it's not uh, their responsibility and it's not their job and it wasn't their decision to um, uh, for, for Russia to in, invade Ukraine, obviously. Um, but you know, it, w- once we start to recognize that sports are one of the ways in which countries build consent for the for their geopolitical actions, and and given how egregious um, the Russian invasion of Ukraine has been, um, it made sense to me that sport organizations are starting to step up and say, "We're gonna, we're we're not, we can't consent to this. We can't be part of this. We can't condone this by by doing nothing." And one of the few things that um, sport organizations can do is ha- is have a say over who gets to participate uh, in their events. So. You know, it's still unfortunate that this has fallen on the back of individual athletes, but I think it speaks to how significant these political issues are um, that sport organizations have felt like they've had to do something and had to say something and make these decisions. Certainly Wimbledon's organizers would have imagined, would have looked at both sides of this of this equation and, and, and been caught a bit between a bit of a rock and a hard place because if they had let them play, one could imagine there would have been uh, a backlash there too. Yeah, definitely. This was not a, uh, a decision with an obvious, uh, you know, with one answer that that um, that's perfect and the other one imperfect. So yes, definitely. If they'd allowed Russians and Belarusians to come and play, there would have faced some some backlash there too. And I think it also speaks. It's important to realize that, you know, there is real political significance and influence of sport organizations when they do speak out on these issues. That you know, the classic example of this is um, how. Uh, uh, Sports-led boycotts helped to end the apartheid regime in South Africa in the 1990s. You know, when when the international sport community got together and said, "We can't support what's happening in your country. We can't condone it. Therefore, we're not going to play against your national teams." That had a real impact on on South Africa's policy to end apartheid. And I think there's a similar thought going on around um, around the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine because of, because of how significant it is. And certainly, Russia is no stranger to using polit- to using sports for political ends. I mean, this is the thing, right? It's not like um, sport and politics that just came together when Russia invaded Ukraine. Russia's been using sport for for uh, decades, for generations. You know, certainly before Putin, but but during the Putin regime as well, has been using sport as a way to build um, consent for its uh, for its political interests and for its national interests. And 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 Putin has done that as well. I mean, it's been so egregious in in Russia that when you look at things like um, their their state sponsored doping program, so you know. Sport and politics come together in Russia all the time. And and I think in that context, it makes sense that the sport community has been part of the resistance to the to the invasion of, of Ukraine. You brought up the very good example of, of apartheid and how sports organizations uh, rallied against that. And not not necessarily quickly always, but they did they did indeed rally against it uh, eventually. Uh, but but the idea, even the Olympic rings are meant to symbolize sport as bringing together uh, countries despite their differences, despite their geopolitical differences. Uh, is that is that aspect of sport now being lost a bit or have we moved beyond this idea that sport does unite more than it more than it reflects the regimes behind the athletes 
Well, it's always been more of an idea than a reality, I think, that the Olympics would be in the service of peace and in the service of humanity. I mean, it's one of the ideas that that was that was fundamental to the um to the, the creation of the modern Olympics in 1896 by Pierre de Coubertin. So it's not like it's a new idea, but it always comes up against the fact that, you know, in practice, um, geopolitics often require uh, organizations to take a stand. And so the IOCs and the Olympic movement's reaction has often been to say, well, we're not involved here. We're apolitical. We're, you know, on the sidelines of the politics here. But but when these when these human rights violations are playing out, that's kind of an unsatisfactory position to take. You know, if you're going to be in support of peace, if you're going to be in support of human rights, then sometimes that requires uh, standing up against violence and standing up against human rights abuses. And that the IOC has always had a really difficult uh, time navigating that tension because when they say we're just uh, observers here, um, then they're kind of they're 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 absolving themselves of their responsibility. I would argue. Simon Darnell, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks.